Bibles this morning, I'd like for you to turn with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15 will be there in a second. If you'll listen for a few moments and then I'll read the scriptures with you. Would that be all right? In his book, Identity Matters, Terry Wardell tells a story from his childhood. You see, Terry had this big hand-me-down, fixed-up, blue girl's swim bike. And one day, his mom finally let him venture outside of his own neighborhood. And this is the story he tells. He said... I'd broken free of the constraints of my little neighborhood, and now I was on my own to experience the great adventure. I felt like somebody, even on that big blue girl's swim bike with saddlebags. As I crossed the railroad tracks and then rumbled over a small creek on a single-lane bridge, the bridge was made of wood and steel, but no, well, not a big deal, but... On that day long ago, it became a bridge too far. As I began to cross, four teenage boys stepped out on the far side of the bridge that I intended to pass by. They had other things in mind. One of the boys grabbed my handlebars, spun my bike to an abrupt stop. Hey, where do you think you're going? He snarled as the other boy chimed in. Yeah, kid, where are you going? Instantly, I knew they intended to beat me up. I was petrified. I couldn't fight or break free to run. So I just stood there frozen. And suddenly, one of the buddies, bullies said, Hey, what's your name? I answered him in that high-pitched, pre-adolescent, quivering voice. Silent. They looked at each other very nervously. Are you related to Tom Wardell? Tom was a much older cousin. He happened to play defensive end on the high school football team. And I lied and told him that Tom was my brother. They immediately backed off. One of the boys straightened my shirt and started saying, hey, we were just funning you, no harm. You're a great kid. If anyone ever gives you any trouble, just tell them that we're here to take care of you. He said, that was a formative day for me. He said, I learned a simple thing. Being Terry Wardell was not big enough to be respected, accepted, and safe. And in the panic of the moment when the cry for safety was the loudest, I lied. Yes, everything did turn out okay, but I had to pretend to be something that I was not or they would have roughed me up. I'd learned that this is an unsafe an ungenerous world and that attending any degree of success in life would demand much more than just simply being me. You know, as Christians, we have an amazing resource at our disposal. It's not Tom Wardell. It's Jesus Christ. And of course, it's that spirit of Christ that lives in us. He came to live within our hearts when we put faith in Jesus. And Jesus does not enable us to do, uh, Jesus it does enable us to do things. As Paul says, we can do all things through Christ that strengthens us. 
Jesus, in John chapter 15, basically is saying, I am the true vine. And I think what that means is I'm the source of wisdom. I'm the source of strength that every Christian needs in order to live the Christian life. Now, let me remind you that we're in the midst of a sermon series during Christmas time, and we're looking at these great I am statements, and we're answering the question, what child is this? Who is Jesus Christ? And I don't think anybody in the Bible answers it any better than the great Apostle John as he answers it by saying, I am the light, I am the good shepherd, and this morning is, I am the vine. Now we're ready to read, so let's stand together as we read God's Word. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, you can look on the screen, and we're going to read, I'll let you help me read the first verse, and then I'll read from there, okay? You ready? Is everybody ready, I hope? All right, let's read together. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away, and that beareth fruit, he purges it, that it might bring forth more fruit. Now you're clean through the word which I've spoken unto you. Now let me, re let me read for a while, because I'm going to read a little bit here, Okay. He says, abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can you, except you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same brings forth more, much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch. He's withered. Men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. As the Lord hath loved me, so I have loved you. Continue in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commands to abide in his love. I'll read verse 16. You've not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, that your fruit should remain. And whatsoever you ask of the Father in my name, he shall give it unto you. Thank you. Be seated. Now, I will admit that I have too much sermon this morning. So, um, we have two options. One is we could go into extra innings. Amen. Or you can ask the Lord to give me discernment at what parts to leave out. Now, we're not going to vote on it. <laughs> we're going to see what the Lord does, all right? We'll just go at it that way. Now, we've got to learn some stuff, okay? So let's start with the structure and the setting of John chapter 15. Now, I want you to notice in your Bibles, and I want you to, if you take notes in your Bibles, this is a good time to do that because I'm going to try to help you understand how 
John 15 kind of fits together. We just read a, most of section number one. Section one is verses one through 11. And it talks about the believer with his relationship with Christ. The key word in this section, you probably heard it several times, is the word abide. And the idea of this passage basically is this. This is the communion or the union that you have with Jesus Christ. Now, I'll explain that better as we get into the sermon. The second section that he talks about, it starts in verse 12, goes down to verse 17. And this is a relationship that believers have with other believers. And when you look carefully at it, the word is love. In fact, the word love is used 14 times in six verses. Now, when you study the Bible, hermeneutics, the study of how to study the Bible says, look for repeated words because that's the emphasis. So the emphasis there is love. And he's talking about the fellowship, the communion that we have with each other. The last section is verses 18 to 27, and this is the relationship the believer has with the world. And if you look carefully, the word that's repeated over and over again is the word hate. Hate, 18 times. And basically it's saying that the world hates a Christian. And the emphasis of the section is persecution. So we're going to look this morning at the first part of this. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11. And we'll not look at all the whole chapter. And we're going to talk this morning about what does it mean to abide, A-B-I-D-E, abide in Christ. That's the subject that he's talking about. And, and if you look at the subject carefully, he's not talking about what it means to be a Christian or how one goes about being a Christian. Basically, what he's talking about here is how do you live the Christian life after you've become a Christian? You abide in Jesus Christ. That's the secret of living the Christian life, abiding in Christ. So the, the subjects abiding, some say erroneously that is bearing fruit. I've heard preachers preach that. That is not the right interpretation of this section. The fruit that they say is the fruit of another Christian is a Christian, and they use this to preach on soul winning. That's not the context. That's not what he's saying. You're going to see the context because your pastor is going to actually break it down for you, okay? So the structure here is pretty easy. What's the setting? Well, the setting of the chapter, look at chapter 14. Look back at chapter 14, the last verse. Look at 31. The Bible says, but that the world may know that I love the Father, as the Father gives me commandment, even so I do. And then Jesus says, arise, let us go hence. So Jesus says, fellas, it's time to leave. When you read John chapter 13, John chapter 14, John chapter 15, John chapter 16, John chapter 17, it all deals with an end, uh, end of Jesus' life event. It was called the Passover meal, or we refer to it as the, the Last Supper. How many have ever heard that before? Jesus has his last supper with his disciples, and he washes their feet. You remember the story? He basically tells them that Judas is a betrayer and tells Judas to go do his thing, and he does. And Jesus then begins to talk about to his disciples how that they ought to love each other. 
And then finally, when he gets done with that, he says in this last verse, he says, all right, let's go. It's time to leave. So in chapter 14, 31, Jesus says, it's time to go. We're leaving the upper room. We're going to take off. They take off walking. They walk down through the Kidron Valley. They come up by the Temple Mount. They come up and they make their way up through the temple. And as they walk along... They stop in front of the temple and they look at the major door that leads into the temple. And by the way, it was pillars that had golden vines wrapped around it. And Jesus stops with his disciples, verse number one. He says, I am the true vine. Now, I just gave you the context. How many got that? So he's walking with his men. He stops in front of the temple. They see that door with a, with a golden vine around it. And Jesus looks at his men and he says, all right, fellas, let me tell you something. I am the vine. I am the true vine. I am the genuine vine. That's what he's saying. Now, in the Old Testament, let me just kind of throw some stuff out here. In the Old Testament, Israel is always pictured as being a vine. I could take you to the Psalms. I could take you to Isaiah. I could take you here. I could take you there. I could take you everywhere. I'm only going to take you one spot. Will you put your finger here just for a second? The Bible basically says in the book of Isaiah, let's go back there. Now, some of you don't turn because you're lazy. Because you expect the pastor to do all your work. However, I have found that you learn better if you participate in the service. So take your Bible and turn to Isaiah chapter 11. And let's read a verse that you know that you have read. And the Bible says, and verse number one, and there came forth a rod, a root, out of the stem of Jesse. Who's Jesse? David's daddy. David's dad, okay? And a branch, a branch. How many of you notice in your Bible that word branch has got a big B, a capital B? How many of you notice that in your Bible? Man, I appreciate the two that responded there. I really appreciate your help. Making it hard on your pastor. All right. That word branch, we could interpret that the vine. This is the fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy. Jesus says, I want you to know who the vine is. I want you to know who the branch is. Now, his disciples knew this prophecy. And his disciples knew that this was in the Old Testament. And Jesus stops and he basically says, you are looking at the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 11 and verse number 1. And he says, I am... That I am statements in the Bible is a big deal. Remember when Moses was in the wilderness and he was chasing the sheep and there was a burning bush and this bush calls him to go talk to Pharaoh and he asked that burning bush, he says, who should I say sent me? And the bush said, I am. We're looking at what child is this? Who is Jesus Christ? Who is that baby born in a manger? Well, the Bible's going to say today that he is the great 
vine, the true vine, the genuine vine. And so the scripture here tells us that Jesus Christ is the vine. Now look up here just for a second. I'm just, I'm just throwing some tidbits out there. And you want to look some of this stuff up, you can do it yourself. The first vine is all over the Old Testament. and It's none other than Israel itself. There's at least five different references that says that Israel was the vine. Jesus now says, I want you to know that there's a second vine, not in the Old Testament. Now it's the New Testament. He said, I am the true vine. Now, I don't have time, but we could look at Revelation chapter 14, and the Bible says in the end times, there's going to be another vine that, that basically is a picture of world corruption. Revelation chapter 14, you can look it up when you get home. Don't read the chapter right now because you want to hear what I say. Amen. Right? I hope, I hope, I hope. So there's three vines in the scripture. One's Old Testament Israel, one's Jesus Christ, and then there's coming a future vine that represents the corruption of this world during the end times. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now, let's look at the symbols real quick. Let's read down through it. There's at least two of them in the first verse. The Bible says, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. My father is the vine dresser. Scripture says in the old King James, my father is the husbandman. Okay? All three of those words mean the same thing that I just gave. Gardener, uh, vine dresser, husbandman, all the same person, all the same, same job. Let's look at the first of all, Jesus being the vine. Here's some verses you could write down in the Old Testament. I just told you that in the scripture, there's Psalm chapter 80, verses 8 and 9. Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 21. Ezekiel chapter 19, verses 10 to 14. Hosea chapter 10 and verse 1. So the Bible gives you at least 10 different places where Old Testament Israel is referred to as a vine. Now let me just sum up those verses. Basically, God says, I made you a vine. But the problem is, you didn't follow my instructions. And your grapes were wild. Your grapes were naughty. Your grapes tasted bad because you opposed and oppressed those under you. You didn't show the light that I was trying to get you to show. And you took advantage of people. You didn't show people justice. You oppressed the poor. And he said, because of that, your vine is wicked. Your vine is ugly. Your grapes are no good. Jesus comes along and Jesus says in this passage, he says, I am the true vine. I am the genuine vine. The symbolization of the vine and the branches is very, symbol, very symbolic and it's similar to that to the head and the body that we have with Christ. Jesus is the head of the church. We are the body of Christ. Now, one thing you're gonna see if you ever go to the Holy Land you will see vineyards. You will see vines. They're everywhere. And so Jesus says, I am the vine. Look at verse number two. He's going to give us another one. He says in verse two, every branch in me. So you got the vine. You got the, you got the branches. The word vine there, we could translate it this way. I'm the stump. I'm the root. I'm the major thing on the, on the vine. I am the stump. That's what he's saying. 
and there's branches that come out of me. Let me help you with something. Look carefully at this verse. I want you to underline this in your Bible. He says in verse number two, every branch, notice this, in me. Now that's a concept in the New Testament that's absolutely fabulous. You know one of the things that Paul says over and over again, that when you become saved, that you're in Christ. Before you're saved, the Bible says you're in Adam. And Adam, the Bible says, in Adam all die. But now you've been made alive. You've been quickened. You're placed in Christ. You say, Pastor, why is that so important? Look up here because I want to try to teach you this. I've taught you this many, many times. I'm going to keep teaching it because I still don't think some of you got it. In Christ is talking about your position. In Christ means this. When God looks at me, he doesn't see the ugly things that Phil has done. He doesn't see the past. He doesn't see all those things I'm ashamed of. When he sees me, he sees Jesus Christ because I'm in Christ. And what happens is this. When I got saved, Jesus took all of my sins and all of my sins were dealt with at the cross and Jesus traded my sins for his righteousness. And now when God looks at me, he sees me righteous in Christ. He sees me absolutely holy. Jesus Christ was the satisfaction for our sins because he traded his righteousness for my sin. How many got that? If you're saved, listen to me, you're in Christ. Are you listening to me? That's a very important concept. The branches are in me. Notice that. He's talking here to Christians. He's talking to genuine children of God. So when you got saved, you were placed in Christ. That speaks of union. That speaks of that magical relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. It's kind of like Jesus being the head of the body and we're the members of the body. It's kind of like Jesus being the bridegroom and we're the bride. It's kind of like Jesus being the shepherd and we're the sheep. Here the Bible says that Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. Now I hope you recognize that you're in Christ this morning. I hope you recognize that positionally you're righteous in Christ. God doesn't see you. God sees his son. That's a wonderful concept. Now, as a branch, the Bible teaches us that there's a husbandman. Look at verse one again. He says, the father, that's God the father, he is the vine dresser. All right, let's talk about this just for a second. If you look at the passage and you read it slowly, you're going to find there's a progression of fruit. For example, the Bible talks about no fruit. Then it talks about fruit. And it talks about more fruit. And then it talks about much fruit. Now, why would a vine go from no fruit to much fruit? It's because the vine dresser comes along and the vine dresser prunes and takes care of the vine. Now, let me help you with something. A vine dresser would go into the field, and by the way, I read this week that 30 acres of vines would take approximately 500 hours per acre to dress it properly. Now, what are we talking about? Now, I'll be really honest with you. I love grapes. How about you? I love those big ones like this, about this big, those seedless ones. You pop one in your mouth and you just go. 
goes down your throat. How many know what I'm talking about? Man, I love those grapes. But a vine dresser would come along and most of the time they had like pruners or scissors and they had string and their job was to make sure that the, that the vine would produce not no fruit, not fruit, not more fruit, but much fruit. That's the, that's the vine dresser's job, to get the most out of that vine that he possibly can do. And so he goes along and he begins to prune it. Sometimes he'd go along and he'd see sucker branches. Sucker branches. How many of you ever raised tomatoes? How many ever found out it's better to have big red tomatoes than a big vine that gives you nothing? Every once in a while, you got to go out there and get rid of them suckers. Come on. Am I the only farm boy in the whole group? You ever gone out there and picked off the sucker vine, the sucker branches of the, of the tomato vine? Sure you have. Because you're wanting the vine to grow tomatoes, not branches with nothing. So the pruner, the husband would come along and he would make sure that, for example, he'd take off the sucker branches. Sometimes they'd have branches that would go down towards the ground. That was horrible on a vine because the closer it got to the ground, it would get dirty. And dirty on the vine would make it so it wouldn't get enough sun. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't give the right kind of fruit if it didn't get enough sun. And so he'd cut off those branches that would go down towards the ground. Another thing that might happen is those branches that would hang low sometimes would get mold. And then it would disease the plant. And so he'd have to go in there and he'd have to take off those branches that were hanging too low. And so his job was to go through there and prune. Sometimes he'd pick off the end of a branch. Sometimes he'd cut the branches that were suckers. And sometimes he'd cut the ones that were hanging on the ground. He had all kinds of things to do. But the main thing was to make sure that the clusters of grapes would get some sun, S-U-N. Because nothing grows without the sun. Right? Right? And so many times he would take the string and he would hold the branch up and hold it in such a way that it would get enough sun so that it would ripen the way it needed to ripen. So the vine dresser comes along and the vine dresser's job was to make sure that the branches produce fruit. Now stay with me. He normally did that through pruning. I've been pruned a few times. I don't like pruning. Every once in a while, God comes along and God says, hmm, Phil's got some branches that are hanging down on the ground. He's getting dirty. I need to get rid of those branches. Every once in a while, God comes along and God says, hey, you know what? Phil's got a real problem. This is a sucker branch. All it's doing is taking the vitality from the branch and it will never produce fruit, so I got to get rid of that. That needs to go. Every once in a while, God's done some pruning in my life because his goal is to help me produce fruit. And by the way, fruit, the, if you go to James, the Bible says it's the peaceable fruit of righteousness. You say, Pastor, what is the fruit of the Christian? Love, joy, peace, and I can keep going with that. But the bottom line is it's called Christ-likeness. The husbandman comes along and he begins to prune the branches because he says there's certain things that don't 
add vitality. And I got to make sure that Christ's likeness is produced in him. Now, I'll be really honest with you. That's when Hebrews chapter 12 kicks in because every once in a while I've been chastened. And I don't like chastening. Come on, am I the only one in this whole church that's ever been chastened? No. So here I've got the vine, Jesus. I'm the branch. And the father is the vine dresser, the husbandman that comes along and begins to prune me to produce in my life stuff that looks like Jesus. And every once in a while it hurts. Every once in a while it's not a lot of fun. But that's the job of the vine dresser. You say, Pastor, what is it that you're supposed to do as a branch? Same thing you're supposed to do. My job is to abide. Now let me show it to you. Look at verse number four. John chapter 15, verse four. Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can you, except you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same forth, brings forth much fruit. And without me, you can do nothing. Amen. You say, Pastor, what's your job as a Christian? To abide. What's abiding? That's a great question. When I talk about abiding here, and when the scripture mentions this word abiding, that, that's an interesting word because it means, I think, to fellowship with Christ. It means that I have union with Christ and that Christ is living through me. Let me put it this way. It means that I practice the presence of Christ in my life. Paul said it this way, Colossians 1.27, he said, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Christian life isn't designed to be hard. It's designed to be impossible. The only way you can live it is if Christ lives it through you. And the only way that Christ lives it through us is if we abide in him. Let's, let's get modern for a second. Let me see if I can make this sound like a modern day vernacular. The word the word here for abide is the idea of hanging out with. The kids sometimes say, who are you hanging with? When I was a kid, you would never ask that because they used to hang people back in those days. But who are you hanging with? You see, the Bible says that I'm supposed to hang with Jesus Christ. Uh, sometimes your newer translation says, uh, I'm to remain with Christ. It basically means if you're a Christian, you're always in the presence of Christ and through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, it's Christ with and within us. The problem is sometimes we forget to acknowledge that. How, how many of you had a busy week this week? How many had at least two or three irons in the fire? How many are running from here to there to here to there to here to there to here to there? And Jesus was the farthest thing from your mind. Be honest. You see the problem? You've got the same problem I got. Sometimes he's within me 
And I, I, I don't acknowledge that. The problem is that Scripture says that without Christ, I can do nothing. Now, some of you right there, you say, well, I don't believe that. Well, let me help you with this. Let me, let me add a couple of words to the verse, then you'll understand it. Without Jesus Christ, I can do nothing that lasts for eternity. I can do things. Man, I do things all the time. The only problem is I really believe it's wood, it's hay, it's stubble. And when I get to heaven and it goes under the fire test, it'll be consumed because I can do things. It just doesn't last forever. You see, I got to hang with Jesus. I got to practice the presence of Christ. I have to abide. I have to remain in him because if I really want to accomplish anything in my life, it has to be done with his power and with his presence and with his grace. That's the verse. So the scripture says that I have to remain. I read this story this week in January 2008. There was a story that made the rounds of a 15-year-old girl in Australia. Her name was Demi Lee Brennan. Brennan became the first in the whole world to have a transplant patient to change blood types from O negative to O positive. She took on the immune system of her organ donor. At first, the doctors thought somebody had made a mistake because it's always been assumed that a change like that can't happen. Now they say she's one in six billions miracle. The blood stem cells in Brennan's new liver invaded her body's bone marrow, taking over her entire immune system, and she now has an entirely different kind of blood, a blood that welcomes life rather than carrying death. She said, it's like a second chance. Amen. Can I ex- suggest to you this morning it's the same thing when I abide in Christ? Amen. I become more like him. Amen. I have his power. Amen. I have his wisdom. I have what he offers, what his resources are. Because the Bible says that my job is to abide in him. Now, quickly, you say, Pastor, why is that so important? I got to hurry. Yeah, I know. Everybody else says, I'm hungry. Please shut up. All right. You know, the, the $64 question, seriously, it's always this way. What's in it for me? I'm, I'm taking my watch off. I'm putting it right here. Now, you know that means absolutely nothing, right? <laughs> Just thought I'd let you know. But I can see what time it is. All right. Now, what happens when you abide? What's in it for you? Well, let me show you in the passage. First of all, the Bible says, my life becomes pure. Look at verse 3 again. The Bible says in 15 and verse 3, it says, now... You are clean. How many of you think it'd be cool to be clean? Spiritually. Now you're clean through the word which I've spoken in you. Abide in me and I in you. 
The Bible here talks about a pureness. The Bible says, when I abide, when I remain in him, when I'm in Christ, there's a purity in my life. Now, I recognize this verse right here is basically saying that Peter, James, John, the other disciples, they're in Christ, they're, they're saved, they've been taken out of Adam, they're now in the very righteousness of Christ. By the way, how many thinks that's fantastic, yes or no? Aren't you glad that God doesn't look at you as a big, dark, big uh, dirty sinner? And by the way, most of us think that. No, when God looks at us, he sees saints. Not sinners. Amen. I'm a saint that occasionally sins. Right. Not a sinner that occasionally acts like a saint. Right. You listening to me? Amen. Because I'm in him. Let me illustrate why that's so great. Let's say that today you got an invitation to go to Buckingham Palace. It ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. But let's pretend. And so you go up to the gate and you say, hey, I want to come in, and the, and the guard's like, hey, what are you, nuts? Have you lost your mind? Well, the queen invited me. You ain't getting in. Come on, they going to let you in? Dumb hick American from Tennessee? But let's say that the queen sends her Rolls Royce, the official car of the queen, and she comes to your house and she has one of her men pick you up and put you in that car. And she drives up to the gate, has a guy drive up to the gate, and you have in your hand an invitation. Let me ask you a question. How many want to bet they're going to let you in? By the way, I'm in because I'm in Christ. Come on, you understand what I'm trying to teach? And because I'm in Christ, I have his positional righteousness. When he looks at me, he sees Jesus. He sees the righteousness of Christ, and I'm in. And because that, when he sees me, he sees me as being clean, pure. Let me move on to the second thing. By the way, if there was nothing else better about being saved than that very point right there, that's a great point right there. Would you agree? But notice the second thing. Quickly, our lives become productive. The Bible says, when I abide in Christ, the Bible says, I bring forth fruit, much, for, much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Now, let me ask you a question. How many have ever got to the point in your life where you'd like to be productive? I'm 65 years old, and by the way, my good days are behind me. <laughs> I'm going to be real honest with you. I'm seeing the end of the tunnel. I'm seeing the, the end of the race. It's, it's not that much further down the road. I'm a lot closer to dying than what I was when I was 14. And now I don't have visions of grandeur anymore. Reality's setting in. Come on, smile at me. But listen to me. I want to be as productive as I can. How about you? The scripture says if I abide in Christ that I can be productive. He says, if you don't, he said, without me, you can do nothing. Fellas, show me my movie up there real quick. You got it? I want you to watch this. I hope, I hope, I hope.
Turn the lights back up. By the way, all my life I've walked around going. And when I abide in Christ and he abides in me, he goes. Because without me, he says, you can do nothing. Amen. That's right. You listening? I don't know about you, but I would like to be pro productive. You say, Pastor, how do you do that? You abide. You invite Jesus Christ into your day, into your job, into your marriage, into your friendship. Because you know, without him, you're unproductive. Are you listening? The reason we're so weak and so powerless and the reason why we fail is because we don't abide. You listening? It was February the 10th, 2013, a fire broke out on the engine room of a Carnival cruise ship named Triumph. Fire knocked out the ship's power, leaving the vessel adrift in the Gulf of Mexico. 4,200 passengers and crew were left in limbo. They, the lost power made it impossible to operate the flush toilets to keep cool in unshaded waters of the deep sea, to preserve and cook all perishable food on board. Passengers reported long lines for food, shortage of fresh water, illness, widespread boredom. Many passengers slept in the hallways and outside to escape the odors and the heat below the decks. CNN dubbed the Triumph the cruise ship from hell. I remember seeing the camera views of the helicopters as they circled the ship. Passengers were waving from the deck, asking for help. And the reason was the ship didn't have any power. By the way, that's the problem with most Christians. Nothing works. Because we don't abide. Many of us have learned we don't have any spiritual gas. Many of us have learned that without Jesus' presence and power in our life, we just kind of fail. Jesus said, you abide, you become productive. That's a pretty good deal. Quickly, let me say this. Your prayers become powerful. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in me and you, you can ask what you will and it will be done unto you. Go down to verse number 16. He says in the end of verse 16 that whatsoever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Wouldn't it be great to get your prayers answered? Come on, I'm going to wait for an answer there. Wouldn't it be great to get your prayers answered? Yeah. Amen. Be super, wouldn't it? Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're taking the verse literally, and it says, anything you ask will be given unto you, and you're going, new house, new car, new job, new woman. <laughs> or some of you are saying, new husband. 
Now, let me help you with this. Let me help you with this. What it's saying, if I abide in Christ, if I hang out with him, I begin to think like him. I begin to act like him. Listen to this. I begin to pray like him. Last verse in 16 says, I ask anything in his name, according to his will. That's the idea. It means it's not I come, to, I come to God and say, hey, God, give me, give me, give me. This is Jimmy. <laughs> no. It means I ask in accordance with his will and he hears my prayers and he answers because I hang out with him to where I get to know what he's like and what he wants. My daughter, I, I love my little daughter. She's going to turn 30 this week. Amazing, your littlest one's turning 30. And she's got a little boy that's going to turn one this week. And she's got a little girl that's going to be three years old and little Leighton. She's telling me the other day, she says, you know what? The kid's talking Southern. <laughs> I said, what do you mean she's talking Southern? She says, when, when, when people come over the house like you and Mimi, she says, she says, my friends are here. My friends are here. My friends are here. Said when we go down the road and she sees Taco Bell, she says, let's eat a Taco Bell. Taco Bell. By the way, I found out you become like people you hang with. Yes or no? Yes, right. You say, Pastor, you think you'd go nuts and just pray for all kinds of stupid things and God will hear it? No, if you hang out with God long enough, you'll start praying like him. Right. You'll start asking for the stuff that he wants you to have. Right. Come on, you listening to me? I'll give you two things and I'll, I'll be done. Let me show them to you. Because I, I don't hate to quit and not tell you the rest of the story. The Bible says, verse, look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified. You say, Pastor, what happens when you abide in Christ? God is glorified. Amen. Is that kind of cool, yes or no? Wouldn't you like God to be glorified with your life? Amen. And if you keep reading on down through here, the Bible says, verse 11, it says, These things I've spoken unto you that your, my joy might remain in you and that your joy, look at this, might be full. Amen. Amen. By the way, I'm just talking from exterior here, all right? Some of you are in desperate need of a joy fill up. <laughs> you got a sourpuss. Hey, my point is this. Wouldn't you like to have a life like that? Amen. That's the kind of life that I want. Amen. When I get down to the end of my life, I want the Father to be glorified. Amen. And when I live my life on this earth, I want my joy to be full. question I have. Are you abiding? 
Are you hanging with Jesus? Are you remaining in him? Are you practicing his presence the whole day? Well, Pastor, I, I do on Sunday morning about 10.30. <laughs> More to it than that, folks. Amen. If you want your life to be productive, if you want your life to be pure, if you want your prayers to be answered, if you want God to be glorified, if you want your joy to be full, abide. Because without him, you can do nothing. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful today that you love us. We're grateful today that you are the vine. And we are the branches. And that God is the husbandman that prunes us so that we can bring forth much fruit. God, our only job is to abide, to hang out with you, to remain, to practice your presence. 